It has come to our attention that a mysterious force is loose somewhere in outer space. Welcome to Talk Tank. Hello, you have reached the Talk Tank, the official LSE Entrepreneurs podcast where we delve into the minds of those who think, live, and breathe outside the box. My name is Udbella Escanero, and I will be your host for today. Entrepreneurship and leadership is the creation of value through innovative ideas and collaboration. But in this series, we look beyond the profit. We interview social change makers who are leading us to a brighter tomorrow. Who is Johannes Weber and what do you do? Yeah, super, super happy to. So, um, yeah, I'm Johannes. I'm father of three kids, um, also an impact venture capitalist and a former hustler turned entrepreneur and turned investor. And um, I'm the co-founder of Ananda Ventures, which is a, a European impact venture capital firm now into its fourth fund and um, been around for almost 15 years in the impact investing space. Wow, that sounds amazing. Um, you said you always had like a passion for entrepreneurship and making impact, but what made you realize that you wanted to found a VC firm? Um, I actually never wanted to found a VC firm. <laughs> it was a bit more accidental than that. Um, I wanted to, I was always, I was always drawn into entrepreneurship and I, I really liked that. And after uh, university, I got the chance to build an asset management firm for um, a really great entrepreneur in, in Germany, which we also IPO'd, it was a small IPO at the, at the Frankfurt Stock Exchange. And through that, I also kind of became an investor and I saw that um, this is actually even closer to my heart than, than just being an entrepreneur um, and, and, and just, just meaning in that case, not the one being the, um, better than the other. But um, for me, being an investor is just closer to, I think, my skill set. I'm, I'm just interested in a variety of, um, of topics and I think it just fits better with me. And... You know, after that IPO, I kind of realized that I didn't only want to create businesses to, you know, make more money, not because I had so much money, but because I, it just really didn't motivate me. And therefore, I kind of got involved with another set of entrepreneurs. So people that created companies that try to make the world a better place. There was no real name for these kind of companies back then yet. Nobody would say I'm an impact founder or something like that. But I was so intrigued by their passion, by their intrinsic motivation that I just wanted to help. And as I didn't have that singular driver in, in my life, like an, a child with autism um, or, or violence in, in my youth where I'd like to build a business that would, you know, would, would work against that particular fact, I thought the best thing I could do is to raise a fund and help these kinds of entrepreneurs. And, and that was actually the start. So I'm more of an accidental venture capitalist, I would say, but I, I truly enjoy my job now. <laughs> wow, no, that's it's very lucky you found your, you know, your path, your drive. And as you know, this episode is part of the Beyond the Profit series. So having, you know, having this VC fund and wanting to make impact and create social change fits really, really well. Um, so we will have quite a few entrepreneurship and VC enthusiasts um, among our listeners. So onto some specific questions. What is your investment thesis? Okay, so the thesis is to um, back early stage. So um, seed, um, pre-series A, series A, 
companies that um, you know try to make the world a better place, either support people or planet, and that are ambitious enough to do that on a really, really large scale. And we provide capital, but also a lot of input um, into the equation and then really help to scale these companies. And we do that, and I've always done that on a European level. So we have an office in, in Munich and in Berlin and in London and operate from, from these areas because we've seen that a lot of these issues are not country-specific. So social innovations can be scaled across borders. And since many years now, we've also done climate startups or, or, or startups that support planet. And of course, these issues um, get global right away. So um, our thesis is to scale outstanding impact startups on a European level and beyond. And so is that also why you decided to focus on like pre-seed, pre-series A and series A stages to kind of really build up the startups from the really beginning? I think we we started with, you know, what we were interested in and what made our heartbeats higher. And it's just that stage where the entrepreneur has kind of figured out where she or he, um, he wants to go and have already kind of developed their service or their product to a certain level and already have a first couple of customers where we feel that we can add the most value from our own entrepreneurial experience. And it's also the time, I believe, where you can, you know, take the right turns or the wrong turns. And I really, really love that stage. And we experimented a little bit with growth companies. And I really don't like to manage a company from a balance sheet. It's just not me. I, there's there's people that are so much better than me. And um, there's so much people that are better than other people on my team and my partners. So I think we this is the perfect place for us to be in. And I think we'll continue to stay in that space. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And you're right about um, like the startups, you know, when they just begin, like they have kind of an idea of where they want to go, but they could turn a bad, they could take a bad turn or a good turn. And having someone there, you know, like your VC venture is probably really, really valuable for them. Um, is this linked to Ananda's new founders health program as well? Because I've heard startups often burn out because they're grown too quickly. So is that something you developed because you noticed that happening? Yeah, so, you know, you shouldn't overestimate what a VC can help you with as a founder, although they will tell you that they can do all these amazing things. But the truth is, any VC will max out on their network after six months, maybe 12 months if they're amazing. And also, you know, most VCs will not understand your business better than you do. And by trying, I'm not sure if that's actually helping the company, I think it puts a, a bigger burden um, on the company. So having said that and bringing in some humility into you know what we can do besides providing capital, I think there is a great chance for VCs to back entrepreneurs on a different level. And one thing we've observed in the last 15 years is that you know founders kind of trade their 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 mental and and, and, and psychological health for the success or the potential success of their of their company and you know there's so many statistics and maybe we can put some into the show notes that show that founders i think about 50 percent of founders um suffer from a negative mental condition during the first five years which could be anxiety or depression and slowly we we, we start to talk about that um, in the VC industry, in the founders industry, but 
I think there's not more than two handful of founders who publicly commit uh, to having gone through depression or, or anxiety. And I understand why that is because it's, you know, you, you might still be backed by a lot of capital or you don't want to be the one person on stage whining. But in the end of the day, it's it's the truth. And we see that, you know, if you have a 25-year-old founder um, that's has not that much life experience yet, uh, leave alone um, entrepreneurial experience, and you inflate that by the energy that's in capital, you can create a lot of drama. So we are part of the equation. And that's why we started many years ago with our Founders Health program. So it's about mental health, um, it's about physical health, and it's about well-being. And at the point of investment, we already try to assess how resilient is the founder, how resilient is the team, the founding team. And uh, we work with psychologists there for the sake of the founder. So, you know, once we know status quo, we know where where to start from. And then we take, um, uh, you know, a bit of the, um, of the budget of the company and allocate it specifically towards interventions for um, mental and, and physical well-being. And this goes much farther than just, um, you know, coaching, um, but that's definitely the, part, the starting point. And we believe that that makes um, a big difference. And I see a lot of VCs going into that direction, but still in due diligence, there's much less focus on, you know, the founder's well-being than I think would be healthy, even if you looked at it from a risk perspective um, only as a VC. So we start to talk about it um, now more openly with a higher purpose of, of moving more VCs into that kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, for sure. You're right. Because I don't think that, I mean, at least I haven't really heard of, you know, mental health programs or well-being programs and VC funds being, you know, as present as other things. And you're right that it shouldn't just be about capital or funds that you can provide or the network, um, and it sounds like a really great program. So other than, you know, in your own like VC venture within these startups, but what do you think um, it means to be a responsible investor in 2023 generally? Uh, so, you know, being a responsible investor, I think it's such a wide term. In my life before Ananda, I owned an asset management firm that did the funds with WWF. So we were a pioneer in ESG investing or sustainable investing. And the term, um, you know, already got bombarded and it got inflated. And I think something similar is happening to impact investing and to responsible investing. So I think it's easy for most investors to call themselves responsible investors by just not investing into certain areas and you know impact investing is goes goes way beyond that it, it, it actually takes a completely different angle with impact investing you try to proactively address a societal so social or ecological challenge through an on, entrepreneurial intervention and you measure it um, in a very different way than you would um, as a ESG investor alone so I find it very hard to comment on the ESG topic um, but I think it has become a little bit easier to, you know, to kind of put yourself into a draw. What kind of fund are you? Now there's SFDR8 and SFDR9. And we thought for a while that SFDR9 would be 
a really cool um, opportunity just to for impact funds. But now I realized I think there are more than 900 of these funds out there in Europe. So <laughs> um, it seems to be more than just impact funds um, to comply with this new regulation. So in the end of the day, I think what it takes to be a responsible investor is to, you know, to understand what the asset is you're dealing with and what the limitations are of that asset and to understand what your limitations are as an investor and just to behave like a like a human being right <laughs> because some investors kind of forget that and of course you're kind of stuck within the expectations of your lps um, and, and and many other stakeholders but i think you should be aware that's the other thing you should be aware of that stuckness and where the real limitations are within what you're doing or if you're just copying what everybody else is saying and i think what requires what's required of us as investors goes way beyond as if they are nine if you look at the world out there burning right now you know the, yeah. <laughs> literally um i just don't think we have that much time to to continue that dialogue on 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 just ESG terms I think we have to go way beyond that um and I've I've seen a lot of funds going in that direction I see a lot of large funds in communication with us trying to understand how we measure impact and so on so I see steps in the right direction if that's happening in the right period of time fast enough I I doubt it hmm. yeah I know for sure you, you've advocated a lot for kind of realism in the European VC market and you know you say a lot that startups need you know real necessary impactful business product ideas for you know bettering society and I guess that ties in with you know investing not only in I guess like target areas or like trendy areas but actually trying to see what society kind of needs at this moment as you say like you know it's burning um so another kind of general question what do you think is the future of sustainability um because Linking back to something I've seen you said as well is that, you know, when we talk about current climate solutions, it's a lot about kind of decreasing carbon emissions. And a lot of startups are about that, you know, decreasing carbon emissions. Um, but you say we should kind of stop only talking about that and kind of recognize that biodiversity is the ultimate solution. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Um, I don't believe in such things as ultimate solutions. I, I just believe that we cannot solve problems in in a siloed way so we are a generalist fund for a reason because we've realized that most problems out there most issues are intertwined so how shall we solve climate change without changing education you know and how shall we solve um, the the climate crisis without looking into biodiversity and you know, and if we uh, try to solve climate and biodiversity, the one thing that will kill us much faster is antibiotic resistance. So I think you know, whenever you try to solve something in a siloed way, another door opens up, and you're like, oh my god, that's so much bigger than the thing I'm just trying to solve. And therefore, you know, I think just just measuring carbon reduction is is easy, and it's great we have that tool because. It helps us to measure and to to benchmark and to, to to make good decisions, but in the end of the day, I think we will have to go far beyond that. And I'm a bit bored by just looking at startups that 
um, you know, that just measure their carbon emissions, and um, that's that's all they do. Um, I understand that it's it's a valuable tool, but I would, I, in our analysis, we really try to understand the startup and the interventions in its entity and in its um, in its externalities, also the the positive and especially the negative externalities to its to its environment and. Um, and then sometimes an impact analysis looks a bit different than um, what you initially thought it would like would, uh, would look like. Yeah, no, for sure. The, everything is always really interrelated. And I'm sure having a generalist fund kind of supports looking at all areas holistically. Um, yes. with, with the international regulatory landscape in flux, though, Europe is investing a lot more in sustainability. Are there specific regions that are kind of leading the sustainable investments in at the moment, like within Europe or globally? I think yes. So first of all, I talk a lot to my US colleagues and I'm always surprised how how small the role uh, or how, how, how unimportant um, ESG and, and impact criteria still are. In the US, it's 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 of course um, becoming more important. Um, I have to say, but I think Europe is is leading the way here. And within Europe, it's always been the more developed countries like Scandinavia and Benelux that are more advanced. You could argue maybe it's a luxury thing to be thinking about this, but definitely it's responsible for the countries that are a bit better off to um, go deeper in the analysis of sustainability and and impact. And I think that will continue for a while, yeah. Okay, cool, thank you. Um, and also like within the, you know, the European system that you've been talking about, you talk, I mean, or generally VC system, you mentioned that a lot of VC firms talk about impact um, and you, and but without kind of the accountability that comes with it, um, how would you define or quantify accountability um, and impact as a VC founder? Mm -hmm. So, I do see a lot of VCs now saying that they're impact funds and in a way that's good and bad, isn't it? Like, because 15, 15 years ago, VCs were laughing at us. They'd ask us if we, if this little thing we're trying to do here, we plan to do full time. Um, they, they weren't ready to co-invest with an impact investor. Uh, they would share deal flow that had nothing to do with our thesis. Um, that was pure philanthropy. So I think that has, that has changed quite a bit. And now we see a lot of funds talking about them being very impactful and so on and i think it will be hard for them to live up to the expectations to the growing expectations and the more informed expectations of their um, lp base because you know impact measurement is something that has been out there for for almost two decades i think maybe maybe longer and it's it's a science and it's gone very deep and I think as an as a fund, as a VC or PE fund, um, there's a way of understanding that on a very deep level if you you know if you are willing to dive deep. And what I see a lot is that VC PE firms that come from the traditional space just hire an impact expert and then you know let that person handle everything impact related. And I think what's what's really important is that everybody in the firm kind of understands what sustainability, what impact truly means. So for example, we don't have an impact expert consciously because we want every partner, every investment manager, every person on the, on the operations team to be able to understand what impact means for us and to be able to run an impact assessment. And 
I think that's the way forward. Um, and I understand that that will take a bit of time um, for traditional investors, but I see the willingness to go into that direction. I think it's more than a fig leaf to them by now. Yeah, I know for sure. I think that's probably the ideal, you know, system because you want everyone kind of to be involved if if you truly want to make impact, right? I think that's yeah. generally the trend because also now a few years ago in other, you know, companies, maybe there would be like one diversity officer or equality officer, but now there's like more teams or more people. So I think the trend definitely is like, we'll be heading there hopefully. <laughs> um, so I how do you, so too. Yeah. <laughs> you say like everyone should be involved with them in kind of like the impact areas of the, of the um, company, but how should you do impact properly? Like within the VC fund with like the startups that you um, have, you say writing purpose related clauses into contracts and term sheets is the way to do it. And also, could you please tell our listeners a bit more about your impact carry model? Because I know that's something that is quite distinctive to you um, and something that kind of goes throughout all of your um, like actions re regarding impact. Yeah, so I think everything starts with um, knowing what you want to achieve with the company, um, what impact you want to achieve and you know with what activities and which inputs you want to achieve, which outputs and outcomes. That's where it starts with. And before that, um, you want to, you know, you want to come up with kind of an impact mission statement. So what does the, why was the company founded, you know, and everybody should agree with that should be the investors and the founders should agree with that. So a theory of change. And then, you know, you should be able to measure this impact, not only on a spiritual level, but also on a very quantitative level. I think it, it cannot just be a feeling, right? Yeah. And then if you're able to measure these things quantitatively, I think there has to be a consequence. So there has to be a legal consequence um, and there has to be a financial consequence. So first of all, maybe the legal consequence, we, we have been working with a thing we call the impact term sheet. Actually, it's part of our normal term sheets, it's impact clauses within the term sheet. And these impact clauses um, um, handle things like mission drift. So what happens if the company drifts from its original impact mission and does something completely different, maybe even harmful. So there's always the chance then the legal consequence for us is that we are able to drop our shares, right? Mm -hmm. And we thought in the beginning that that would be um, something other traditional funds would be really struggling with. But we've now invested with the largest VCs out there in the world, some of PE firms, and that has never been an issue. And then um, we have the whole founders health program in our term sheets and legal contracts. We have clauses around um, diversity and inclusion in the term sheets and in the contracts. And of course, the ESG terms and clauses that, that, that many other funds have. And all of these have a consequence and um, they need to be reported at the uh, at the board meeting. So that we don't expect the founder, for example, to report on the contents of his um coachings yeah, if we talk about founders health but we definitely hold them accountable and the team accountable to are you having these coachings and are things improving for you you know and uh, what how can you measure that and i think that's that's really important and i see a lot of traditional vcs wanting to look into these clauses and i've seen even in in co-investment situations other vcs 
taking on these clauses as well um, within other contracts than they do with um, on other deals. And I think that's that's really nice. So we seem to have an, an impact there beyond just our investing, um, but just simply through our behavior. And mm -hmm. the other thing, so that's the legal consequence. And then if we now want to talk about the financial consequence, we have created back in 2014, the thing we call the impact carry model. We co-developed it with the European Investment Fund. We were the first impact fund to get capital from EIF. And at the time we said, look, we're an impact fund. So it's not only important to, you know, have great financial returns, but also we need to make sure we have great impact returns and this should be measured. And if we don't have these great impact returns, then we shouldn't be compensated um, as if we were having them. So um, the impact carry model is like another hurdle. We need to jump a financial hurdle and we need to jump an impact hurdle. So let's say we 5X our fund, but we don't achieve the impact we said we would, then our team doesn't see any carry. And I think that's a very fair consequence, right? Because you promised impact returns and you promised financial returns. And that, of course, again, has a big um, influence on our behavior when we, when we invest. Mm -hmm. And the impact carry model works in a way that at every point of investment, you know, we do this theory of change with the company and then we come up with um, KPIs um, for that company and we come up with target values for these KPIs. And then we measure the company against itself. So it's a bit like in personal development, you know, you should always <laughs> yeah. only, you know, benchmark yourself yeah. against yourself. That's very healthy. And in our case, you know, how should we benchmark a company that works with let's say hearing impaired people compared to a company that tries to protect the world from forest fires. So is it better to help a person that's hearing impaired um, or is it better to help to prevent a forest fire? That's like playing God. So you can't do that, mm -hmm. um, but you can benchmark the company against itself and its, its developments. And we have our largest investors um, holding us accountable um, for these targets and also discussing these targets and KPIs with us. And then, you know, you create a so-called portfolio social impact multiple. And if that multiple drops below 80% of what we um, wanted to achieve, then in a sliding scale, our impact uh, carry or our carry becomes smaller until it vanishes. So, and on, on the other hand, if we achieve the financial targets and if we achieve, uh, if we jump the hurdle of uh, the impact we wanted to achieve, we see full carry. So I think that's fair now. There are about 80 funds out there in Europe and probably much more in the world that have built on this impact carry model that we co-developed. And we see different varieties. So there are certain funds that would only take 50% of the, um, you know, only link 50% of the carry to impact targets, or there's some funds that get a super carry if they overachieve on the impact. Um, and that's great. You know, we should all experiment with it, but um, I would not invest as an LP into an impact fund that doesn't have any sort of impact carry model um, applied. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that sounds like a great model, like a very fair process for kind of like all parties involved, it seems. Um, what do you think maybe the most exciting kind of like impact return that you've seen or the like a target that you really wanted to hit? Yeah, so for me, it's, it's one of the companies in the really early days. Um, which which is a company that works with 
um, people on the autism spectrum, Asperger autists, and um, trains them to be IT consultants. And um, Asperger autists have this superpower. Um, their brain just functions differently from, from the neurotypical people. Um, and therefore, they have a very strong pattern recognition. They can be extremely good at um, software testing and IT, IT tasks and IT consulting and coding and so on. And we um, you know, embarked on this journey to create this consultancy firm um, with, uh, that solely works with Asperger autists. And, you know, obviously consulting firms are not crazy scalable. Um, so today um, we probably couldn't build another company like that because our funds are just too big to do that. But it shows, you know, how a company like that can scale and how the impact is actually embedded into the DNA. And when we initially set up, we said, okay, if we employed a hundred um, consultants that are Asperger autists, that would be that would be really great, wouldn't it? And then over time, the company grew. I think today it's in 13 countries, became very sizable. It has more than 300 um, um, Asperger autists fully employed. And that kind of, you know, that growth that just kind of impressed me because at the time of investment, we, we didn't think we could build such a sizable company out of uh, this business model and the limitations that, that come with this business model. Um, and of course, it's the size that, that, you know, that impressed me. But you know, what impressed me much more was to actually hang out with the consultants and with, with Asperger autists. Um, because, you know, as a fund of the fund, you're very far away from the impact. As a fund manager, you're also far away from the impact because you deal with the founders. But if you, you know, dive deeper and you hang out where the impact is actually happening, whether you are protecting world from forest fires or you're turning the world, you know, agriculture yeah. into regenerative farming, or you deal with people with disabilities. Oh my God, you know, like then a world opens up and you, you, you're you on a, such a steep learning curve about what the issues about what you're trying to solve and what the real limitations are, you know? And I, for example, learned that, um, you know, one Asperger autist, you know, one Asperger autist, you know, people say that they are um, no great public speakers, you know, and it's just not true that I found some of the greatest public speakers on, on the autism spectrum. And the complete opposite is true as well. And I just love to understand that I or love to learn that I don't know anything, you know, that moment is just beautiful. And I, I, I realize that a lot, if I dive deeper on into my portfolio companies where the impact is really happening. Uh, that's such a wonderful example. I think that shows it's a really amazing impact that you've kind of highlighted and it must feel really rewarding to also be present. You know, like you say, like if you, you know, delve deeper, you hang out or you see what, you know, the startups are actually doing or the people who are benefiting from that. Um, that must be, you know, it's very, very good. Um, about generally VC, do you have any advice for people wanting to kind of make a difference, you know, like create social change? Is there any advice you give to people who want to get into VC and do that? Yeah, I think, I mean, it starts, starts with what do you, what do you care about? Um, you know, what are the issues you, you care about? What do you want to achieve when you go into VC, you know, do you, do you just want to, you know, be part of great tech um, or do you want to use great tech to do really great things? You know, do you want to create uh, or do you want to solve wants or do you want to solve needs? <laughs> and yeah. I think that's a question I would ask myself as a, as a person that's young and potentially wanting to move into, into venture capital. 
because you know without judging it or valuing it in, in, in any way um there's a possibility through the power of entrepreneurship combined with capital to achieve really great things um, for the current and future societies um, without having to compromise on financial returns and i think just to spend a little bit of time on that and you know meditate on that and and think think it through and see if that resonates with you and then you know choose a fund to that you know that is like-minded and where these values that are important to you where they um, play an important role and i think that's that's what i would get started with we're just talking about people moving as employees in vc not starting vc funds do we um yeah i mean people moving into green or trying to apply to vcs to as employees or even also founding your own just generally like the vc space yeah and like if you want to start your own VC firm, again, I think it becomes even even stronger that you have to act from a place of authenticity, um, because that's what your initial problem will be fundraising. Um, so um, investors will only invest into your fund if they believe that the thing you're trying to do, um, you will be good at, and that comes with a high level of authenticity. And um, that, again, has to do a lot with your values, your applied values. So going deep on your on your values and, you know, also asking maybe your your peers about how they perceive you do a little bit of research. You know, how how do your the people you went to university with, how do your parents, how do your siblings, how do they perceive you? And that will tell you a lot about your values and how you perceived and where your strengths lie. And maybe you can apply that to your choice of you know where to work uh, start up as in vc or how what your fund should look like when you um, when you set it up and i'm a big believer of the blue ocean red ocean theory so um if you start your own fund or if you choose to work for a fund i think it makes sense to you know embark on a journey where you're in a blue ocean and where there's a lot of possibility to create and um, i found that always very appealing Okay, thank you. That's, I think, some really good advice. Um, so we're coming to the last question, and then we'll go to our section of real talk. Um, but what is the next step for you and Ananda, if you have like a next step, you know, in mind? Yeah, there's always a, a next step. Um, <laughs> so when we initially, you know, embarked on this journey, we, we said we want to prove that it's possible to make attractive financial returns while making great impact returns or, or great financial returns while doing great impact returns. And in order to prove that you need a lot of time, you know, because a VC fund runs 10 plus years. And we are the first impact fund in Europe that has gone through a full fund cycle. And we've achieved a 2x um, money on invested capital on fund one, which I think is super important for the entire industry because you can now show and say that it's possible um, to create attractive financial returns while creating great impact. And if you look at what the market looked like, um, I think it was 13 years ago when the fund started, there weren't all these unicorn, potentially unicorn-like um, impact companies out there. You know, there were like these oticons, you know, the uh, that I just described. And a 2x on that, I think, is, is sensational. 
and of course our, our level of ambition has risen ever ever since and um, now our returns expect expectations have risen um, as well and now that we've proven um, that it is possible now we want to prove it on a, on a much larger scale and um, I think everybody in the team is really inspired by that. Wow that sounds really really exciting I'm sure everything will go very well. Yeah, and you know the one yeah. last thing we want to we want to prove is um, that you know you can stay authentic and and kind while doing that, <laughs> and then you no, can yeah. have fun fun along the way um, because yeah. a lot of people forget about the fun element of the entrepreneurial journey or the VC journey. It should it should be fun most of the day, and if it's not, then you know probably some things are are, are not quite right, and you you have to change. Yeah, no, that's very important. I think if you you, when you enjoy something you're doing or the work you're doing that shows you have a real passion for it and that makes you happy yeah. so yeah sounds great um and now we have a section called real talk with two signature questions that we ask um each interviewee um so first one if you could change one thing about society what would it be <laughs> um yeah that's the so that's deep talk right so for me um it would be probably the ego in, in in society um and you know the the craving um of whatever it is more money more power because in the end of the day we can try to build all these great companies and we can do all the philanthropy in the world but you know if we cannot change how our human minds work and how they are by what they are motivated you know and yeah. what they get their satisfaction from then we will most likely gravitate towards the stuff we've always seen and if you if you're interested in history um and, and read a lot about history and i think a lot of students in the uk um go deep on history even in their bachelors and, and stuff and I, I think that's so important and you see that history repeats itself just because of human how the human mind works and if I had the chance to, you know, change the way how human minds work, um, I think that would be that would be really enjoyable. But um, I have no no bigger idea of how to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great answer. And yeah, unfortunately, no one's thought of how to do that yet. Um, but the thing is, for example, in sorry to interrupt, but no even in in impact investing or in in in, in philanthropy, you know, there's there's a lot of ego and there's, it might be subtler, but it's there, you know, it's mm -hmm. about, you know, who changed the world in a more innovative or in a better way um, compared to somebody else that tried to change that topic. And the same is true for science. And, you know, if we could all just stop that for a minute and, and you know, think about well, what are we trying to do here, then that would be um, truly amazing. Yeah, I think people probably... I mean, I feel like everyone's really caught up in how things are being done or have always been done or not seeing the bigger picture. So I guess it's, it's about seeing, you know, like you say, kind of broader goals or what we should be doing and caring about. Yeah. yeah. Um, second question is, what's an unconventional truth you believe helped you achieve your success? Yeah, so <laughs> that's... I have to think about that quickly because <laughs> Take your time. Um, yeah, because it, there's lots of truth. I'm not sure if it's an unconventional truth, but it's it's unconventional for me because when I started, I was 
you know, in, in, in high school, I was, I was, I was an athlete. I want to be a professional athlete. Um, I was always crazy driven. I was quite aggressive. I always had that aggressiveness um, and maybe a bit of anger all my, all my childhood and, and my, my young adulthood. And, and I thought that, you know, this aggression, this anger, this way of, you know, doing business, being fast and, you know, would, would ultimately lead me to being successful. And I think to a certain extent it did, but it certainly also brought some, there came some limitations with that and some glass ceilings that I, uh, you know, hit my head against. And the unconventional truth here I'd like to share is that I believe that it's completely possible to be successful in this materialistic world and to be super kind. And and, re, and even if you want to create the world's largest startup, the world's largest impact startup, the greatest VC firm in this world, I think um, you can do that while being kind. Maybe you can only do it while being kind on the long run. And the reason why I believe this is I, I'm, a, I'm a boxer. I've, I've boxed for many, many years. And, you know, if you hang out with professional fighters you find out that they might be former world champions world champions but they're really relaxed and kind people so somehow if you've you know gone through life and it's it's it's, it's done that laundry thing on you you know and you've become a better person then there's probably no other way of um being a bit more humble um and a bit more kind and if you have the chance to start with that and not only learn that, like I did through a lot of painful experience, I think then you can become even more successful than you initially thought. Well, that's, that's a really great answer. I think a lot of people, I mean, I just graduated from LSE, but LSE, I feel like everything's very cutthroat and people think you need, you need to be like that, you know, to be successful. But I feel like when you start experiencing more when you talk to other people you know if I'm talking to you now and it is I think really good advice to kind of realize that you, you should you can and should be kind and humble and everything and you still can be you can still achieve the same success so that's yeah. that's really good and I think it'll be very helpful for a lot of our listeners to hear yeah I think there's this truth it can be super successful by being cutthroat for a while um but but then you know, if you look at the truly, truly amazing people out there, and I'm, I was lucky enough to meet a few um, in politics and entrepreneurship, um, in, in many other fields and, and in sports, then there's this special thing to these really outstanding people. And um, it's probably, I would describe it as the exact opposite to cutthroat, you know, and mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, and that's what I love about this world, that there are different ways of becoming successful and um, being kind and humble can definitely be one of them. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time and for talking to us about kind of social change and really trying to make impact on how to do that and the VC ecosystem in general. Um, to wrap up our interview, we have one final question to ask you. If you could invite anyone in the world you want for a podcast interview, who would you invite? That's also a good question. Um, I always wanted to have my own podcast. I even bought a microphone, but that's where it ended. I, <laughs> I am prob probably not a good podcaster, I, I realized. But um, I thought, you know, who would be my guests? And I think 
every great billboard person out there has already been interviewed and dissected and you know and <laughs> and um, shared their shared their knowledge numerous times and what i'm deeply interested in is people and that's how i choose my role models they're more the silent silent people people nobody knows about um, for me the real heroes out there are the people who manage to be you know successful entrepreneurially or in whatever they do um, to a certain extent, at the same time, are really successful at being parents or friends, you know, and mm -hmm. or or successful about applying their values to their to their lives. And I I know a good two handful of people that are I call my close friends that are like that, and I think I would put them on the podcast and try to dissect what what makes them top performers in in this interdisciplinary approach, which is called life. Wow, no, that's, I really like the interdisciplinary approach you mentioned. I'm sure, I think you should start your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you're very, you're very kind. I have to work on my <laughs> English, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for joining us. I really, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, thank you, Bella, and, and I, I wish you lots of success. And also now after graduating, um, all the possible uh, success and happiness for you, for your career and, and what's ahead of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in, guys. And leave your message after the beep.